Hey, everybody, it's Monday, August 16th, and that means it's time for another episode of Chatting with Agnes and Cecilia, Nonprofit Conversations. I'm one of your hosts, Cecilia Sub. I'm the principal and founder of Rogue Tulips Nonprofit Consulting and Association Management Services. And I'm here today with my co-host and friend, Agnes. I'm going to throw it over to Agnes to say hello. Thank you, Cecilia. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our global audience, wherever you're joining us from. My name is Agnes Amos Coleman. I'm an author and a consultant. Over to you, Cecilia. Great. Thank you, Agnes. And today we're really pleased to have back a previous guest, Paul Reddish of Volunteering Matters, an organization that serves the entire United Kingdom and helps people be better volunteers or make better volunteer programs. Welcome back, Paul. Would you like to say something else about yourself and say hello? Hi Cecilia, thanks for having me back. Uh, yeah, I'm joining you from uh, sunny Scotland today, uh, where the sun always shines in spite of what uh, people say. Um, uh, it's been an interesting year as we're moving out of restrictions and programmes starting back up right across the UK and look forward to talking to you a bit more about it over the next few minutes. Yeah, great, thanks Paul. And uh, last time Paul was on the show, he was talking about volunteering during the pandemic lockdown, and it was well before we knew we were going to have a vaccine available so quickly. So now that things are changing, rules are changing, uh, we're able to go out a little bit more often. Uh, we still have some mass mandates around the world, but things are loosening up a little bit. So we asked Paul to come back and talk about his view of things post lockdown and how he sees things changing with volunteering. So, Paul, let's start over to you and let's hear uh, some of your thoughts going forward. Sure. I think the big thing I would say about post-COVID volunteering is that COVID hasn't necessarily changed anything. It's just accelerated some things that were already happening. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at trends across volunteering and how people engage with issues in their communities and, and organizations, for a while now, what you've seen is a, is a shift to growth in community organizing activity, informal volunteering, help one-to-one -one mutual aid type um, initiatives, and a, and a flatlining of formal volunteering with organizations and, and charities. So you, you've seen the, you know, the biggest growth in the sort of more community grassroots, um, informal connectivity type volunteering. Mm. Um, and, and clearly during COVID that, that, uh, that's precisely what happened everywhere around the world in, in, in millions of people. Um, so what we're seeing is that, you know, COVID to some extent has accelerated that trend. We yes. have a community life survey in the UK that's um, demonstrated a 20% growth in informal volunteering and about a 20% drop off in formal volunteering. But I, I, again, I, I caution with the formal drop off because mm -hmm. uh, many people have not been able to volunteer in certain settings and therefore, mm -hmm. You know, it's it, it, you can't really do a comparable, you know, COVID and pre-COVID. We'll have to wait and see what that looks like in a year to yeah. get a feel for it. Um, the, the other big thing that's uh, starting to, to, to happen with uh, or has come out of COVID, it's accelerated trend, is this idea that people are much more interested in, in the, the thing they're trying to change or achieve as opposed to the brand. Uh, and you'll have seen over the years people being quite loyal to particular charity brands and, and you know, charities focused on the volunteer experience. Um, and what you're seeing with, you know, millions of people out volunteering in the vaccination programs and various other things 
is that they're really not bothered whether they're volunteering for organization A, B, C, D, E, or mm -hmm. state organization A or B. They just want to help the nation get back on their feet. Yeah. Um, so all of these traditional constructs of volunteers in an organization that we've created and the artificial mm -hmm. barriers between organizations, we're going to have to sort all those out and strip them back yes. and find much deeper collaborations to work together so that, you know, people can explore what it is they want to do and move easily amongst causes in their, in their communities going forward. So, so they're the two big trends, I think, that, that we've seen accelerated through COVID. They were happening before COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's probably moved them on further still, and that gives us some clues as to what's going to happen as, as we move out, I think. Interesting. Well, I actually have a question based on what he just said. Mm -hmm. uh, can you, do you know whether organizations are actually using virtual volunteers to grow their business in this post-COVID era? Based on a lot of what you said, I know there's a lot of community, let's get the country back. But is there a trend towards virtual volunteers at all, or that's not happening at this point? Well, I think that, you know, the first thing I would say is that, you know, because volunteering is, is such a, a, a broad spectrum of activities, mm -hmm. it's quite difficult to answer that question with, with, with one answer. So, so what I will say is that there are some settings under which um, virtual volunteering has happened in order to ensure um, activities can continue and, and mm -hmm. you know, outcomes can be achieved, but they're imperfect. Uh, and therefore, you know, the restart of face to face is, is most welcome. So, you know, virtual gatherings um, uh, that, that used to be done on a walking football field uh, with a tea and a biscuit afterwards is not the same on Zoom. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, these sorts of groups, I know, are really desperate to get back together and, and, and work together. Um, but also what we've what we've seen is that some activities have benefited hugely from mm. organisations being forced to go on to virtual and if I was to give a practical example in volunteering matters, uh, we have a program where we match over 50s with care leavers in a mentoring mm -hmm. relationship called Grand Mentors. And all those matches used to be done in what we called sort of group soft match environments where we might get them all together to bake a cake and mm -hmm. they just get to know each other and chat and, and this that, and the other. And that, and, and that worked really well. But what we found when we moved it all online, assuming that, you know, the magic that happens in that would be, uh, you know, somewhat inferior to physical mm -hmm. volunteering uh, was that young people in particular found it much less of a, a, a step to be able mm -hmm. to go into a virtual space with a stranger than they did to turn up to a meeting space and bake a cake, frankly. Um, so we had many more young people uh, turn up to these events. And as a result, we've been able to get to more people uh, that are now benefiting from mentors. So that will become a permanent change. Now mm -hmm. we would not have done that without COVID because we just assumed that virtual was inferior. And I, I think that's one of the things that COVID's done. It's tested some of our assumptions about where face-to-face -face contact is always best. And I think mm. what it's proven is that in some instances, it's added real value to the volunteering experience. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. That's a great lesson to bring forward, mm. Paul. I think uh, over the years, we've seen little blips of hybrid involvement, for lack of a better phrase, uh, happening, but we never really embraced it to the point of like, especially like, I really like your mentoring example, because I, I have, 
I am very committed to mentoring. I have two mentees of my own right now, and I work with study groups. And I actually ran my own mentoring program for an entire year by myself, uh, which is a challenge. But that entire mentoring program was virtual because mm-hmm. I could match people all across the United States, across organizations. And if they were local to each other, they could get together in person. But the whole point was just talk to somebody on the phone mm-hmm. or talk on Zoom. Um, and I'm still stunned that people are, because this is me, this is my personal experience. Let me put that caveat out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've worked virtually since 2003. So when this all happened, I'm just like, what's the big deal? You know, mm-hmm. it's like talk to somebody on a webcam or pick up the phone. Uh, not realizing that everybody, it takes other people a little bit of time to get used to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you had also mentioned, Paul, about people getting together for tea and biscuits, maybe at the end of the event, uh, or maybe they eat that delicious cake they've just baked together. Uh, did you do anything to compensate for that? Like here in the United States, some organizations have been mailing boxes to people before mm-hmm. virtual events. Have you tried anything like that? Yeah, there's been all sorts. I mean, one of the really heartening things about what's happened, if I if I look at the experience within our teams, is that we've we've given them the freedom uh, through COVID to do what they need to do to keep connected mm. to people. Um, so where they've had particular groups before that that had a specific set of activities, they've just looked at it differently and and repurposed what they did. So it was a fantastic program right across London where, um, you know, we we were. Um, helping sort of get social action off the ground in alternative mm-hmm. schools and everywhere in London. And the schools were shut, so they couldn't, you know, couldn't go into the schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and we couldn't actually have that interaction with the young people. So they put together these fantastic family packs, um, oh. which were, uh, you know, quite engaging for, from a learning point of view, a fun point of view, and uh, and went to, to the doorstop of of. The, the different young people and delivered them and kept delivering them. So they stayed connected over that period and, and built that sort of relationship on, uh, you know, outside of the school environment. So mm. I, I think, you know, charities, communities, they've been incredibly creative actually through COVID because we've all had to be. Um, yes. And I think that's part of the, you know, the, one of the big benefits that's going to come out of it. it. It has forced us to look at different ways of doing things mm. Um some of them, uh, you know, will look forward to retiring and get back to having a tea and a biscuit. Um, uh, and others, I think, will change our services and ways of working for good and for the better. Um, and that, for me, that's, that's you know, at, at what's been a difficult 18 months, one of the good things that's going to come out of it. Yeah, one of the things that I wanted to find out, I mean, based on all this new change and being forced to think, look at things differently and be creative in the process is that how do you handle uh, volunteer underperformance? So it's almost like, you know, the evaluation process of who do you retain as a volunteer or who is underperforming and who is overachieving? Because this is a process and it's important. And I know that as volunteers, you're just thankful that they're there, but you also want to make sure that you're keeping the right volunteer to do the right task. So can you just share some thought process on that? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, it, so it's a couple of things I would say. So first of all, the relationship with a volunteer is very different to a relationship with a member of staff. And, and you know, first and foremost, you have to, they're motivate, they're giving up their time to, to do something and therefore, um, you know, your, the the job of it, all of us is is to help support that individual to to get what they want out of it as well as you achieving what you need as an organization so 
you know, it, it's more incumbent on us to work harder if mm-hmm. uh, if things aren't quite working and, and, and get that right. Um, but I, I think, you know, generally speaking, my, my view on all these things, and I, I extend this to my staff team as well, is if somebody isn't quite performing, um, then you have to explore all the different things that you're doing that aren't getting the best out of them first mm. before you go, well, actually, maybe they're not quite right for that. And that particularly extends to volunteers because you can't question their motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, my my sense has always been that 99 times out of 100, if you're not quite getting what you need out of out of your volunteers, mm-hmm. the first place you need to look is at yourself and what is what environment are you creating uh, have you set them up to be successful? Have you are they in the right sort of role or the adjustments that you can make? Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of, of, of a performance culture in a volunteering setting. I think it's more about an enabling culture and mm-hmm. you know, getting the best out of the people that have very kindly put their hand up to give up the time to support your cause. Yes. And, and I think that this is a big adjustment the sector has to make is one moving away from you know, this thought process that they're our volunteers mm-hmm. uh, to a recognition that we're their charity. Um, and therefore our job is, to, is uh, you know, is to support people to be able to uh, to, to help uh, align with us on what our mission is, mm-hmm. not to do our bidding. And, and when you think like that, that creates a very different view on how you might manage and support volunteers. Mm-hmm. I love that you just said that, that thank you for, for putting that out there so succinctly. Uh, yes. I also have uh, spent many years of my earlier career managing volunteer programs, and that is the heart of it, what you just said, Paul. Mm-hmm. It's, it's why are they there? How can you help them be successful? Mm-hmm. And you're there to help them succeed. They're not there to work. For, they're not unpaid staff. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's something a lot of people overlook. And yes. uh I actually quit an association because they did not want volunteers. They wanted unpaid staff and there's Mm. a huge difference. Um, So that's great. So as we're coming already to the end of our episode, uh, but first I want to ask Agnes, Agnes, do you have any closing thoughts or closing questions for Paul uh, before we wrap up today? No, I I think that uh, the perspective that Paula shared is very key, particularly because our community is very volunteer driven. And I think there are lessons here that we can learn as an association community in really looking at how we engage our volunteers uh, post-COVID and uh, and start to have that discussion. It could be around, you know, rethinking how we recognize them and rethinking our expectation of them. Uh, And so there's a lot of discussion here in the association community, the volunteer community that we need to have so that we can have this robust relationship of volunteer, um, you know, volunteer engagement. So thank you, Paul, for sharing your perspective on this. Thanks, Paul, oh, sorry. Sorry, Agnes. <laughs> Didn't mean to talk over you. Uh, so Paul, what is the closing thought you'd like the audience to take away today? And then if they wanted to continue the conversation with you directly, how could they get in touch? Uh, so I, I think the closing thought for me would be, you know, how do we continue the curiosity and creativity that's come out of COVID as, you know, as things settle down? Because inevitably it has led to change for the better in a lot of instances in our programmes and improvements. So it's, you know, uh, it's just a shame it took a pandemic to shake us up and into the into thinking about the virtual things. That, but it, I think that's the challenge for us is, is, is not to sort of just slip back into good enough. 
mm. um, uh, you, you know, how we can start to really address some of these emerging trends that, that you know, that are happening uh, in the world, not just in, in volunteering around, you know, digital inclusion, about the expectation of people to, to do things for themselves and communities and, you know, what, what our role is in that. Um, mm. And yeah, very happy to talk to anyone about it. Best places to connect with me are on LinkedIn uh, or on Twitter. Uh, the handle's Paul underscore Reddish. Um, always happy to chat to any uh, like-minded folk about volunteering and the future of the sector. That's great. Well, thank you. That's a great summary thought. And let's hope people take your advice. Uh, so we have to go rogue for now. Oh, but before we do, I, I want to support Paul's statement. It does not rain in Scotland all the time. Uh, I, I actually had the opportunity to visit once and it is actually sunny most of the time. It's Ireland where it rains all the time because I've been there too. <laughs> so if you're looking at the weather, go to Scotland. So uh, anyway, we have to go rogue for now. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, if you want to learn more about Rogue Tulips, uh, you can check us out online at our website, roguetulips.com. We'd love to hear from you. Also check out our sister organization, the 501C League, where we offer lots of education to help people in our profession do better and improve their career. So uh, you can visit the league at the 501cleague.net. We have bundles and gift cards if that intrigues you at all. So we wanna thank Paul Reddish of Volunteering Matters, uh, which is a great organization name because it does. So we will see you next time uh, with a new episode. Thanks for joining. Thank you.